Keep your Bibles open to Matthew 24, and um, we're going to look at a few other passages of Scripture this morning. So the first one that we'll go to is 1 John 2, if you want to mark, uh, make uh, a mark there at 1 John 2, and then we'll look at a verse in John, then we'll look back at another verse in Matthew. So we'll do a little bit of flipping around, uh, flipping through the pages of our uh, New Testament this morning as we look at signs that a Savior is coming, signs that a Savior is coming. Let's pause for a few minutes now and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we bow together today. We come before your presence You tell us to do so with thanksgiving and praise, and we have played our instruments in praise of you. We've raised our voices to sing and and give you glory. We bow our heads, God, to acknowledge that we submit to you as our Father, as our Lord, as our Savior. We come before you because we're needy people, Lord, in need of daily bread, in need of eternal salvation, and in need of precisely uh, exactly what we need, each and every individual gathered for this moment, for this day in our lives and in our faith. And we gather together because Christ is alive and grace is sufficient and you are God. And you are faithful and you are good and you are gracious. And we ask you, Father, for understanding as we come to a particular passage of Scripture this morning that is speaking of the return of Christ, that you would so give us clarity of understanding, Lord, that not so much that we would learn more and know more today, but as we would be uh, more moved and motivated today to seize the days that are before us, to make the most of the days that you have given us, to live with greater zeal and greater purpose for the King is coming. And so again, we we ask you to, to build your church, to save your people, to make us more like Christ, to answer prayers and move in ways that only you can, to do the things that we cannot do. And we're going to praise you for it all in Christ's name. Amen. So Advent season begins next Sunday. And we'll have Advent devotions as part of our Sunday morning worship. Advent season is preparing, meditating, looking forward to the first coming, and as as we're doing that, as we enter Advent season, meditating on his first coming, we will also be meditating on his second coming, at least for, Lord willing, this week and, and three more weeks, and then we'll have a Christmas message. But I thought it interesting, God's timing and his placing always works according to his will, and here we are talking about his coming And we're looking at both, his first coming and his second coming. Our text begins today, Jesus is departing the temple 
If you recall our study through chapter 23, he's pronounced seven woes of judgment upon the Pharisees and their false religion. He has lamented Israel's rejection of him as Lord and Savior. So it's still probably Tuesday of the week of Passion. It's been a long day. It's been an, an, event, an eventful day, a full day. It's probably late afternoon, early evening. And one of the statements that Jesus, is, Jesus made, we looked at it last week, if you remember, he's standing in the temple and he declares in verse 38, see, your house is left to you desolate. A prophetic word to the house of Israel as he laments their rejection of him as Messiah and Savior. In other words, when Jesus leaves the temple and he's getting ready to walk away, that's the next thing that he'll do. When Jesus leaves the temple, so with him does salvation and life. Everything that the temple was to signify for the people of God. When the Messiah leaves, so does salvation leave the temple. It will just be an empty edifice. Their empty religion will be housed in an empty temple. And so as they leave the temple grounds, the disciples are perplexed at this saying, I'm assuming because of their question. And so they... They, they begin to point out the temple buildings to Jesus and, 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 and more than likely to, su- to suggest to him that it's kind of unbelievable that, that these things would be that Jesus has just said. I mean, look at the grandeur of these buildings and of this second temple. This is the place where we worship God. This is the place that signifies the, the presence of God. Surely this will not be desolate. So in verse 2 of chapter 24, Jesus takes the prophecy even one step further, doesn't he? So he says, not only will it be desolate, not only will it be empty, but it will soon be torn down brick by brick. That's pretty incredible. So they had to let that sink in for a while. And they were struggling and and wrestling with this understanding of the temple is going to be empty and then it's going to be decimated, desolate and then decimated. And so when they reach the Mount of Olives, from that point of view, they can see the city, they can see the temple. And they begin and they ask Jesus this question, When will these things be? Because if the temple is going to be desolate, if the temple is going to be decimated, there is difficult times ahead. And when will these things be? And and what will be the sign of your coming? Remember in verse 39 of chapter 3, Jesus, after speaking of the emptiness of the temple, spoke of his, he referred to his second coming. The disciples understood that. When will these things be? When will these horrific things be of the temple? And, And when will your second coming be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So instinctively they knew that the end of the age, the end of this period of time in God's sovereign plan of redemption 
This, this, this will come to a conclusion. It will coincide with what Jesus is speaking about, with, with the temple and with his coming and, and the, the end of the age. And, and so they're asking, what, how do we know? What do we look for? When will this be? And Jesus begins his reply with a warning, doesn't he? He said, well, there's going to be many people come with many answers to that question. Some will even claim to be Christ. And they, they will tell you all of these things. That they'll come in my name. They will come in, under the guise of truth and, and Christian and Christ. Don't listen to them, is what Jesus is saying. Don't listen to them. This is what you need to know. I'll tell you all you need to know right here. And he proceeds to tell them what will happen in the world. He he proceeds to give them a view of history before it happens right up to the end. So we're going to look at those one by one uh, together, the ones that are pointed out in in our uh, passage this morning. So verses 6 through 8, Jesus says one of the things of what's going to happen in this world is global unrest and the unrest of the globe. There's going to be global unrest, wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. But not only will people war with one another, the world itself is going to be in a state of unrest, famines and earthquakes in various places. In other words, lasting peace, lasting true peace is not going to be found in this age. There will always be turmoil. There will always be disaster. Jesus says, see that you are not alarmed for this must take place. Now, I take that to mean my understanding of this passage is Jesus is saying, don't be surprised that fallen humanity and a corrupt world is going to be dark at times and is going to tremble and totter at times and it's going to be at unrest and in turmoil at times under the weight of sin. Don't, don't let this alarm you and don't think that this particular war or this particular earthquake or this particular happening is, an, is the sign that I'm coming. Don't, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed at these things because they must take place. That's my reasoning when Jesus says they must take place is the effect of sin in a fallen world with fallen people. There'll always be turmoil. There'll always be natural disaster in this age. But Jesus says interesting words there, but the end is not yet. Now, I take that to mean Jesus is saying, This is not the sign of my coming. These things are just going to be happening. In fact, he says, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So this is the the beginning of the birth pains. This is not the sign of the end of the age. In other words, wars and, and natural disaster and division and hatred and upheaval are not the sign of his coming. Look at verse 3. The disciples said, what's the sign of your coming? So the sermon title, I admit, is a little misleading. We're not actually talking about signs of his coming. 
we usually talk about these things as signs of his coming. We're actually talking today about the sign of his coming. That was their question, wasn't it? Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? And so Jesus says, now just like birth pains, these these things are going to continue and they will become even more frequent and they will become even more intense. But don't be alarmed. These are signs of the times. They're signs of the age. But they're not the sign of his coming. Now, when we look back in history, Rome was destroyed. Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70. So, verse 2, if we look back there in verse 2, verse 2 was fulfilled before John wrote Revelation. AD 70, Rome captured, sieged Jerusalem, tore Jerusalem down, tore the temple down. The destruction of the temple then, as I understand it, marks the beginning of the last days. That was A.D. 70. So John would write, look with me in 1 John chapter 2. If you're with us on Sunday nights for our study, and I hope that you've been able to be here. If not, tonight's the final night. Bring your Bibles. We're going to wrap up our study of 1 John together, our men's study and women's study. Hope you'll be able to be there tonight. But John would write in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, listen to these words, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Now, let's pause right there for just a minute and remember what Jesus has just said in Matthew 24, 5. I'll flip back there where Jesus says in Matthew 24, 5, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Now, back over in 1 John 2, John says, Therefore we know it is the last hour. Now, let's keep reading. In 1 John 2, 19, They went out from us, speaking of these, all of these antichrists and all that they have influenced. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. In other words, they are not of the true faith because they left it. Back with me over to Matthew chapter 24, verse 5. This is exactly what Jesus said was going to take place, isn't it? Many will come in my name, verse 5, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. That's 1 John 2, 19. So the last days, my point here is the last days have been occurring for 2,000 years. That's the, that's the kind of biblical title for, for this age that we live in, the last days, the last hour. This last period of time between the ascension of the resurrection and ascension of Christ and the return of Christ. 
This is the age in which we live. We live in the last days. This is our age. This is the time in which we find ourselves. We, we are in the biblical period of time called the last hour. The next turn of history on God's timeline of redemption is eternity. The next major event to occur in God's timeline, and there, there have, uh, of, of the major salvific events that have occurred in God's timeline, there's the incarnation, there's the substitutionary atonement, there's the resurrection, and there's one more, the return. And all of these things, Jesus is saying, all of these things are are going to be occurring in this age. So there's no specific number to be looking for or no particular one to be looking for. There are going to be false Christs. There are going to be false religions. People are going to be led astray. There are going to be wars. There are going to be natural disasters. They're going to continue throughout this final age. They will increase. They will intensify. And I understand that because as, as sin becomes layered upon sin, upon sin, upon sin, the weight of sin in a corrupt world is just going to increase the disruption and the hatred and the turmoil and the natural disasters. But they are not the sign. But here's some more things. Jesus is, going to, Jesus is saying, here, here's some more things that are going to be happening in this age. And he introduces them with saying, then. So the next thing, second point, is the persecution of God's people. In verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. And put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Look with me to John chapter 15. The Gospel of John chapter 15. The persecution of the people of God. Will be an ongoing description of this final age and Jesus explains this in John 15 beginning in verse 18 if the world hates you know that it has hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So that's not just a description for just those few disciples that were gathered around Jesus. That's a description of all disciples whom Jesus has chose to to follow him. All those who are called out of the world, out of darkness, into light, into truth, into the gospel... So this is going to be an ongoing description of this final age that we live in. It's the story of the church from the apostles right down to this present day. Everywhere the gospel goes, two things are sure to occur. Number one, when the gospel is preached, people will come to Jesus. And number two, the world will hate the people who come to Jesus. It happens everywhere. 
all the time. It's the way of grace to save, and it's the way of darkness to hate the light. So we walk the path that leads to heaven. We as the people of God, as disciples of Christ, we are, we are on a journey that leads to heaven, that leads to glory, that leads to joy, that leads to life. But it is a difficult path at times. And it is a bloody path at times. Paul says, remember Paul's words, through much tribulation you will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to be easy at times to be a believer in this final age of history. If you are living for the Lord, standing for truth, following the scriptures, honoring the Lord, loving the gospel, living the gospel, it's not going to be pleasant for you at times because we will be going against the tide, against the flow, against the culture, against the narrative. When you follow the history of the church, you find a trail of, of hardship and pain, of imprisonment and torture and death. And as the gospel advances throughout the world, so do the number of martyrs. The, the, the persecution of the church is greater today than it's ever been. There are more people martyred for the faith each and every year than the previous year. People are giving their lives and losing their possessions and losing their health and losing their purity and losing their homes each and every day. Our friends in Myanmar that we're praying for have lost homes and it's all over the world. Why so much hatred? Jesus says it, doesn't he? He said, you will be hated by all nations. You're, you're, you're not going, you're, this world is not going to be your, your friendly home as a believer. Why so much hatred by all the nations? Because Christians like their Savior, you think about it, Christians, when, when we follow Christ, if we are truly following Christ as believers, then we should be people of love, people of generosity, people of goodness, people of peace. People who go around doing good, that's exactly what Jesus did, wasn't it? He went around doing good. So why did they hate him so much? Why did they despise him so much, plot against him, nail him on a cross, shut him up in a tomb? Why? Well, the same, it's the same reason for us if we're followers of Christ. To speak the truth. To speak the gospel. And the darkness cannot tolerate either one. So persecution will continue with frequency and intensity throughout this age, but, but that is not the sign of his coming. That's a description of this age in which we live in. These things are going to be happening. Here's another thing that's going to be happening. Falling away from the faith in verses 11 and 12. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Nothing purifies the church quite like persecution. As persecution increases, so does they, a falling away in the church. 
There comes a point if you, if you have a false relationship with God, a pretend relationship with Christ, there comes a point when, when that just will not do, when that becomes just too costly. There comes a point when you cannot continue to stand on those convictions because it's costing too much. So you don't. You give away that conviction. And then you give away that next conviction. And then that next conviction until finally where you land looks nothing like where you started because it's not. It's not the gospel. It's not the faith. You have drifted away from the faith because it was just too difficult. It was too confrontational. It was too costly. It was too emotional. It was too heavy. It was too hard. There will always be those voices that will degrade and will ridicule and will mock and will undermine the church, the scriptures, God's will, God's truth, the Bible. There will always be those. And there will be those who come around and, 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 and there will always be those who claim to have a better way. And it'll be a, you can guarantee that better way will always be a safer way. It will be a way that will not cost, that will not be confrontational, where you will not be hated or unfriended or talked ugly to or given the cold shoulder you can be welcomed you can have fun you can enjoy you you don't have to hold on to those old-fashioned archaic judgmental ways of thinking there's a new day there's a new way the world has changed this is get on the right side of history there will always be those who will preach that you can still go to heaven and be at peace with the world. There will always be those who preach there's another Jesus, there's another message, there's another way, there's another interpretation. There's another version. It's very telling in our day that one of the trends among younger evangelicals in our day is what's called deconstruction or deconversion. In other words, social media is filled with testimonies, to me, heartbreaking testimonies of those under 40 who are leaving the faith, leaving the evangelical church, and posting how freeing and how good it is and how wonderful it is to finally shake off those, those chains of, of, of mom and dad and, and grandma's old faith and finally get with the times. Deconstruction and deconversion. You hear those, you hear those terms. That's what it means. I'm, I'm leaving the faith and I'm happy about it and it's a good thing and it's celebrated. And it's a heroic thing by the world standard. You, you are a hero. This is a valorous thing to do. Get rid of that old judgmental way of living and thinking. With this leaving the church, this has been happening since the days of the New Testament. That's why John wrote what he wrote in chapter 2. 
And it will continue with frequency and intensity throughout this age, but it's not the sign of his coming. It's not the sign of his coming. Now, here's another thing in verse, uh, fourth point of the sermon, verse 12, loss of love of neighbor. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. As sin increases, it, it, it also progresses in depravity. Sin doesn't stay on the same trajectory. It, it moves down, downhill fast. Remember, some, some of you here can remember the days when you grew up sleeping at night with the doors open, right? Anybody ever do that? I never did. Y'all did. I didn't. But now we sleep with alarm systems. Gruesome acts of, of horror and violence used to be, you know, occasionally, and it would take our breath away and it would leave us speechless at, at how someone could, could treat someone else this way. But now it's, it's multiple, multiple stories each and every day. It's happening all the time, everywhere. And because of all of this increase of sin and increase of violence and horror and, and depravity, we begin to lose trust. We begin... We begin to fear. We, we begin to withdraw. We begin to put up alarm systems. We, we, we begin to, to suspect everyone. We, we, we begin to analyze everything. We, we begin to pull away from one another. Society begins to pull away from one another. Until we, ju- we just don't want to get involved in, in anything else. We, 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 have, we live in a day where we have tons of friends that we've never met. Because we don't really want to get personal. We don't really want to get involved. We don't want to get messy. We're so busy. You see these terrible videos. Have you seen these terrible videos where someone's being violently attacked or or, or violently abused and, and bystanders are just watching or just walking by and in, in the very worst case, the reason why you can watch that is somebody's just standing there with their phone filming it instead of rescuing the person who is being violently attacked. The love of many will grow cold, a loss of love of neighbor. And all of this goes back to the progression of sin. As, as, as sin in, increases, so do all of these things. As sin advances, then, then so does the pushback against the church. So persecution happens. As, as the pushback advances and, and there's boldness and there's aggression and there's really a price to pay for, for your stand for the faith, then the falling away occurs. And as all of this darkness continues and, and upheaval continues, then people begin to withdraw from one another and to try to keep themselves safe and and all of this begins to happen, and there's a, it's all, all happening more, and it will continue to happen and happen and happen throughout this age. So, what is the sign of his coming? That was the question the disciples asked. What will be the sign of your coming? What is Jesus' answer to the question in verse 3? For that, let's go to verse 14. 
And this gospel, completing the commission, fifth point of the sermon, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's the sign. While all of this other is going on in the world, the gospel will continue to advance throughout the world until it reaches its culmination that it has enveloped the world and all nations and all people groups and all tribes and tongues have the gospel has infiltrated each and every aspect of the world. And then the end will come. That's the answer to verse 3. Now look with me in Matthew 28. This is a very familiar passage for you, but I want you to see how Matthew 28 coincides with Matthew 24, 14. This is the Great Commission. So in Matthew 24, Jesus is saying, when the commission is completed, and in Matthew 28, he gives the commission. So in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of most of the nations. No, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And listen, and behold, I am with you always. To when? To the end of the age. In other words, until this gets done, you can always know I am with you and I will enable you and empower you to get this done. And then, back over in Matthew 24, then the end will come. When the gospel reaches every tribe and every tongue, Christ will come. It has been advancing since the days of the New Testament and will continue to advance. In fact, if you, were, if you could draw out church history and lay it over a map of the world, you will discover that the gospel beginning in the Middle East has swept over Africa and Europe and Australia and North America and South America and Asia. There's just a few pockets of people groups still to be reached who have never heard, still to be reached in South America and Asia and Southeast Asia. That's, that's the big places, just a few more places to go. Now, there's much work left to be done. There's much work left to be done in terms of getting the gospel to the lost people around the world. But there's not much territory remaining in terms of the gospel spreading to all nations and all peoples. You think about it. This spread and advance of the gospel has been happening for 2,000 years. With missionaries and social media and radio and TV and a million individual believers living out the faith all over the world in unknown places doing unknown gospel work 
There's no way for us to tell how close we are getting to fulfilling the Great Commission. There's no way for us to keep up with it. We have ways of tracking it here and there. For example, when Jars was here and showed us there's still about 2,000 people groups without the Scripture in their language. That's one way to track it. But we have no idea how the gospel is moving and getting into places that we are unaware of. In other words, we don't know exactly when the day will be when the church will complete the mission. But of this we can be sure. It will be completed. And maybe in our lifetime. So beyond... You think about this now, looking at the passage that we've just studied, beyond doing our part to fulfill the Great Commission, and and theologians and missionaries have always talked about the Great Commission in terms of this in, in, in these terms, hastening the day of the Lord. You want Christ to return? Then let's get busy getting the gospel to those who've never heard. Amen. I love that one. Hastening the return of Christ. That's what missionary work has always been described as. So beyond doing our part to fulfill the Great Commission, what what are we to do in, in the meantime? Because we are to expect some other things, aren't we? We are to expect national turmoil, natural turmoil, persecution, falling away, love of neighbor growing cold. What are we to do? Last point of the sermon, point six. Verse 13, a powerful promise for the persevering. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Who's he talking about? The ones who don't fall away. The ones who don't follow the false prophets. The ones who don't shed their convictions one by one until... They are in a total different belief system. The ones who endure. The ones who keep the faith. So what are we to do, church? Keep believing. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Your salvation is nearer today than it has ever been before. No matter how dark the days become, the light will soon break over the horizon. The trump will sound, the angel will shout, and the king will return and take us home. That will be the end of this age and the beginning of forever. When forever begins... The only way to be there with Christ is to be with Christ now. So listen to me. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to let go of the world, let go of self, let go of your desires, let go of your way, let go of everything else and cling to Christ. Today is the day of salvation if you are not in him. If you are in the faith as many of us gathered here today claim to be, then today is the day that we lay aside everything else that's entangling us and weighing us down and discouraging us and causing us to worry and causing us to fear and run the race 
that's before us. It's almost over. We just have a few more laps to go. Let's pray. Father, we love you and and we praise you. You haven't left us without word. You haven't left us without direction. Some of that word and some of that direction of what we can expect in this life, in this age, is pretty dark and pretty grim. But you also have not left us without hope and without promise and without light and without grace. That you are with us. We're not facing any of this alone. We're not facing any persecution alone, any heartbreak from seeing the falling away, any heartbreak from the disasters around. We're not facing any of that alone. You have promised, I will be with you to the end of the age. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you and you are right here with us. We have nothing to fear, no need to worry, no need to be discouraged. We just need to get to work living for the gospel, sharing the gospel and taking the gospel to the ends of the world. And looking forward for that blessed hope, the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is our prayer today. Father, if we are not in the faith, would you compellingly, winsomely, finally draw us to yourself in faith in Christ. And those of us who are in the faith, Lord, help us to not be distracted and downhardened by the world, but to be light and salt in it. Lord, build your church this morning as we respond in faith, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.